thank you so much for singing with your hearts. Wow, you can be seated. What an amazing sight to think that our Lord is holy. Uh, we're going to take a look at that scene actually in just a few minutes. Uh, but before we do, I'd like for us to just kind of take a moment to talk through where we've been come, going through as a church. As a church family, we've been discussing uh, some things as we're seeing from the book of Acts. Book of Acts comes right after the four Gospels, and it's really the continuation of God's story in Jesus as he's working to reconcile the world to himself. Uh, Jesus is doing this work. This is the Acts of the Apostles. Your Bible may say they're at the top, but really this has been the Acts of Jesus through the power of the Spirit, through his apostles as, he's, as they're calling people to himself, to Jesus Christ. And so what we want to do today is we just want to take a moment to pause and say, here's where we've come so far through the first five chapters. We've seen the founding of the church. We've seen the origin story of the church. The last few weeks we've been talking about how this church, it's, it's an unstoppable force, not because we've got unstoppable people, but because we have an unstoppable God and an unstoppable spirit who's working in and through us. But I'd like for us to pause just for a moment this morning and ask ourselves, what does this mean for Fairfax Bible Church? And if you've forgotten, I just would like to remind you of the key verse for the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've been trying to, to bring it up as often as we can. Acts 1, verse 8 says this. But you, this is Jesus speaking to the apostles, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so what Jesus was doing before he ascended back to heaven, he was commissioning the, the disciples, the apostles, he's saying, I'm sending you out in a few days to go out and be my witnesses, but you'll do that when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. We know from Acts chapter 2, the, the Spirit came down and, 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 and resided upon the apostles as if, like, as if like tongues of fire. And it was a very mystical and mysterious and weird experience, but it worked out in very practical ways. They started speaking good news uh, to the crowds there in Jerusalem. And so that promise was fulfilled, and we've been seeing that the apostles have been sent out. Now that, that idea of being sent hopefully is familiar to you. If you've been hanging out with us here at, at Fairfax Bible Church for any time, you know that every Sunday we try and make it a habit to end our service by commissioning you, commissioning me, commissioning all of us together to say, love Christ and live what? Say it with me. Live sent. Live sent. They're very good. You're awake this morning. That's awesome. Uh, live sent. But, but I want to ask this, this question though. As we're thinking about Acts, as we're considering all these things, what does it mean to live sent? What does it mean to live sent? What is this idea of sentness? Well, I'd like for us to first take a look at this sentness as it's played out in the life of Jesus. So sentness in the life and ministry of Jesus. And, and you probably know these verses. John 3, 16 to 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You could almost say he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We see John. He understands that Jesus was sent by the Father. Uh, John 6, 29, he goes on to say, Jesus answered the crowds, this is the work of God that you believe in him, speaking of himself, whom God has sent. 
See, there it is again, this idea of sentness in the life and ministry of Jesus. I love this verse. This encapsulates for us what does it mean to have eternal life. John 17, 3, Jesus is praying. He says, this is eternal life that they, meaning his friends, and those who would believe on account of their witness, that they may believe, this is eternal life, that they may believe uh, in you, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent sentness over and over and over again. In fact, John does this later on outside of his gospel in 1 John 4.14. We believe John's the writer of that. It says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. This idea of Jesus being sent. It was a huge theme for John, but it wasn't just for John. Luke, as he examined the life and ministry of Jesus, he, he records for us this moment when Jesus is standing in a synagogue and, and he's there on, on the Sabbath and, and, and they would take turns reading the scroll. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 43, excuse me, Luke 4, 17 and 19, it says this, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and the, found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty. And it goes on to describe what that liberty looks like. But, but Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm the one who is, is being spoken about in the prophet Isaiah. I'm the one who was sent. And we sang about this morning, Jesus is my liberty, right? He sets us free. He was sent for that very purpose. In fact, that's what it says, that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom in Luke chapter 4. Verse 43, it says, he said to them, I must, to his disciples, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So you can see Jesus, he had a mission. He had a goal. He had a commission from God, his father, to say, I am going to be sent to reconcile the world to myself, and I'm going to proclaim this good news of the kingdom that, I, that I'm come to bring. I am the king. And so Jesus came with a purpose of sentness, and he passed that commission, he passed that purpose on to his disciples. And so we can see that sentness in the ministry of the apostles as well, sentness in the ministry of the apostles. And, and we see this in, in John, uh, excuse me, John chapter 20, verse 21, but, but we know that Jesus has called these men his apostles. And an apostle, it really just means a, a messenger, an ambassador, an, an envoy, someone who's on a mission, a delegate. Think of someone who's like, uh, you know, a, a foreign delegate from our country representing the United States of America. And Jesus is saying, you are my delegates. You are my ambassadors. You are my messengers. And, and he said in John 20, cha uh, chapter 20, verse 21, after he rose from the dead, it says, peace be with you as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm sending you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. All those verses we read about Jesus being sent, and then he said, just like I was sent, now I'm sending you. I'm not Jesus, <laughs> and you're not Jesus either. That's quite a statement to say, right? As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus uh, also, he says to his disciples, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Uh, if you want to think about it, how would we summarize it? I'm sending you. Go, tell the good news to all creation about what I am, 
who I am and what I've done. And of course, uh, for those of you that have, have been in the church for a while, you've probably heard this passage so often. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. Jesus said to them, again, after his resurrection, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I'm sending you out, but here's the promise that I'm giving you. And uh, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This commission, this sentness that Jesus was sent on, he's passing on that mission, perpetuating that sentness on to his disciples. And in Acts 1.8, of course, coming all the way back around, full circle again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I am sending you out. And so we got to ask ourselves as a church, are we a part of this story? Are we a part of this story that started with God the Father and the Son and the Son being sent by the Father, the Son being sent with a purpose and with a mission, the Son accomplishing the mission and then sending his disciples and then the disciples witnessing about the good news of Jesus and this sentness has been just going on, multiplying over and over and over again as people are sent out sharing the good news about Jesus to the world around them. But sentness isn't easy. In fact, sentence is really hard. Think about Jesus being sent. What did it cost him to be sent and fulfill the mission that the Father sent him to do? It cost him his life, right? It cost him everything. He left his throne in heaven in glory and, and, and perfect bliss to come down. And Isaiah 53 says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why? Because he was sent. He was sent on a mission. Think about what it cost the disciples. We see, uh, we're going to see soon in the book of Acts uh, that, that not only are the apostles and the disciples and the followers of Jesus going to be imprisoned, as we saw last week, some of them are going to even give their lives for the cause. Sentness. It's the greatest work in all the world, and it's the costliest work in all the world. Why would anyone want to live sent? Why would anyone want to live sent? What would motivate us to do that? I mean, when, when I read about the, all this and I'm saying, hey, that's great. I, I love it that those guys were, uh, you know, they lived sent, but I don't know that I'm ready to sign up for this kind of mission. This sounds pretty, pretty serious, pretty, pretty uh, um, costly to me. Let's just think about this, living sent versus living safe, because that's really the alternative, right? Either we're living sent or we're living safe. And living sent is, is a self-sacrificing kind of life. You're giving everything for the cause. You give your resources, your time, your love, your devotion for this cause. But, but living safe is self-preserving. It's putting up those fences and those boundaries. It's saying, I only have so much to give and, and I'm going to protect what I've got for me because I don't know that I want to lose it all, right? 
Living sent versus living safe. It's self-sacrificing or self-preserving. Well, living sent means that I'm others-centered. I'm, I'm focused on their needs and, and how I can point them to Jesus, right? I'm, Jesus said, you know, thinking about others. Paul says in Philippians 2, this is humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. I, I don't like that. I like to think about me. <laughs> I like to think about Matthew, right? But living safe says I can be self-centered. I can live for myself. I can think about number one. I think about my needs. Make time for me. Living sent says, though, I'm other-centered. Living sent, though, is also bold and courageous. Last week, we saw the apostles say, hey, you know what? If you're telling us not to proclaim this gospel, that's fine, but you got to know we must obey God rather than men, no matter the cost. That's bold. That's courageous, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, there's times where it's like, you know what? This boldness and this courage just does not come naturally to me. Sharing my faith with someone else, living sent, boy, that, that's, that's great for some of them that are like, you know, those warrior types, right? Those thrill seekers, those people that actually willingly jump out of airplanes with a parachute, right? Or jump off a bridge with a bungee cord tied to their ankles, right? That stuff's nuts. No, no, no. That's bold and courageous, but I'd like to be cautious and careful. I can't live sent. I'm going to live safe. Uh, living sent means you're focused on the unseen and the things that are eternal. It's, it's living for something that you can't necessarily touch, taste, see, smell, or hear right now, today. But it's, it's looking forward to something that is unseen today, but that will be seen in the future. While living safe is saying, ah, I can see my, my full pantry, my full refrigerator. I can see a, a full tank of gas in my car. And I, I can see all these things. I can see my time is preserved. I've got a warm cup of coffee and I'm sitting by the warm fire, which we wouldn't light right now in, in early September. It's still kind of warm, right? But I'm living safe. I'm focused on the visible and the temporal rather than the unseen and the eternal, where one who's sin is looking forward to the things that are unseen and eternal, lives that are transformed from the inside out. Living scent is intentional and it's undeterred. It's saying every day I'm waking up for a purpose and no matter what comes across my path, and there may be obstacles, there may be challenges, and it may be tough and I may have to grieve through those things and I may need the support of a community, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to endure. I'm going to remain committed to the cause where the living safe idea, the living safe perspective says I'm pragmatic, right? Does it make sense or, or you know, I'm practical, right? I, and there's nothing wrong with being pragmatic. There's nothing wrong with being practical. But when we give up the cause and we compromise the convictions about who Jesus has called us to be and what he's called us to do, pragmatism sometimes, friends, can be our greatest enemies, to think only by the situation and not realizing there's a mission that I'm on. There were times even the apostles said, Jesus, why are you going to Jerusalem? You know they're going to kill you. You're crazy. Let's get as far away from Jerusalem as we can. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I must be about my father's business. He was intentional and he was undeterred. Well, living sin is centrifugal. It's, it's this outward focus. If you think about, you know, swings on one of those merry-go-round swings at like a carnival or an amusement park, and they swing around, right? You're, you're being pulled out, pulled out, pulled out. Why? Because the mission is out there. Think of Acts 1.8. You be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the surrounding regions, regions and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's centrifugal. It's, it's reaching out. It's reaching out where living safe is centripetal. It's, it's focused inward. Just get cloistered in, hunker down, and be safe. The call to live sin is the call for a follower of Jesus' friends to die to themselves, 
die to their own desires and hopes and goals and dreams apart from God. That's not anything wrong with having goals and dreams, especially for our young people who want to know what what is God putting on your heart? Where are you going to go to school? Where is God going to send you? What kind of occupation are you have? How are you going to live on mission for him? Dream, have goals. It's wonderful. But goals and dreams apart from God's plan for our lives is living safe rather than living sent. It's a call to die to ourselves and live for Jesus, his desires, his goals, and for the sake of others that they may know him. So I've got to ask ourselves, why would anyone live sent? What would motivate anyone to live sent rather than live safe? I want to invite you. I know that's kind of a long introduction, but I just want to allow us to breathe for a moment and wrestle with these questions. And I think we could look at a passage. There are many. We're going to look at a passage from the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. If you grabbed a a Bible as you walked in, it's on page 330. We want you to to follow along with us here. But we're going to take a look at Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. There was a man named Isaiah. He was called to be a prophet in an age when when there was all kinds of idolatry. It was was in in a... a, um, an era during the history of ancient Israel where they were having kings come and kings go and some of the kings were okay and they would lead the people in worshiping the true God of Israel alone. But some of the kings, they would introduce these idols and even into the temple, even into the city of Jerusalem. And they'd say, well, we worship Yahweh. We worship the God of Israel, but we also worship the gods of the nations. I mean, look at these. Gods are awesome. These, these, these idols, these uh, works of stone and wood. And there's all kinds of different behaviors and practices. And frankly, they're kind of fun. So why don't we introduce them and put those two religions together. And God went through a cycle of judging and causing the people to repent and come back. And there were kings that would, that would, would do a good job, and there were kings that would do a bad job and lead the people astray. And Isaiah is sent as a prophet right in the middle of this cycle. Right in the middle of this cycle. And Isaiah is called to a tough, tough task. He's called to live sent. He's called to live sent with a hard message Look to God. Repent. He's going to judge you, but he's full of grace and full of mercy if you would just repent. It was a hard message. It was going to be costly. But God does something for him in that moment to say, I'm going to allow you to see something that will motivate you as long as you live to live sent. Let's read this together. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, 
here I am, send me. Our big idea this morning, and we're going to look at this briefly because we've got some other things we want to look at here, but Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, our big idea this morning is this. God brings us in to send us out. God brings us in to send us out. Let's jump right into it. First thing, God brings us in to behold his glory. God brings us in to behold his glory. Here, here we see the opening in this first verse that, that Isaiah is saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but when there's a transfer of power, especially when a king dies, boy, it could be chaotic. It could be chaotic. I mean, we see chaos happening from time to time, right, when there's a transfer of power. Sometimes it doesn't go very smoothly. And I'm sure in this moment, Isaiah was feeling a little bit nervous. The king is dead. What are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? And God says, right in this moment of your chaos, I'm going to show up and I'm going to bring you in so that you could see my glory. And what does Isaiah see? He sees the Lord. The Lord. Now, we know from other texts of Scripture that, that, that his human eyes could not have beheld the full face, the full uh, beam of God's glory, but we know that he sees a vision of God, and he sees him high and lifted up on a throne in the temple, and his robe just fills the temple with his glory. Friends, this is a majestic view of the one true king, the king who reigns, the king who is never voted out, a king who can never die, a king who is always on his throne and Isaiah sees this king high and lifted up and he sees him full of glory and he hears these voices, these voices of this seraphim, these spirits of fire that are standing right there next to the throne and they cover their eyes and their feet and, and all they do, their one job is to declare a worship service. Holy, holy, holy. Three times, friends. The only time it happens in the three, three uh, Hebrew scriptures. A repeat once, not twice, but three times. Our God is holy. What does that mean? Our, our God is, is transcendent. He's, he's, he's bigger than our creation. Although he could, he could be right here in this moment. He is right here in this room at this moment. Yet at the same time, he is beyond his creation. He's, he's glorious. He's perfect in his nature. It's like a burning fire. This, this holy, holy Holy God, the whole earth is full of his glory. This idea of this weightiness where you're in his presence, just like, wow, this is, this is overwhelming, you know? It's like when you're in a dark, dark room. You know, I've, I've been to like Disneyland and Disney World and sometimes they have those dark ride experiences, right? And your eyes are kind of accustomed to it and there's the black lights. And then you step out of the ride and you go, you're like, oh man, the sun, I feel like I'm blinded, Right? That's what it's like for Isaiah to the 1,000th degree. He's in the midst of this holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. My goodness, I'm going to be consumed. And the house is filled with smoke. Because of Isaiah's humanity, but also we know from his sinfulness, because of God's holy and holiness and perfection, this, this, this barrier of smoke, this barrier of smoke between Isaiah and the Lord. And, and look at his reaction. Woe is me, for I'm lost. Why? why? Why would he say that? I mean, here's probably the most significant moment of his existence, and he says, woe is me. Well, it's because of this. 
for I am a man of unclean lips. Now, it's not just that his lips are unclean because he's been eating bad foods or saying foul language, but because he is a part of, he's, a, he's a part of a group of people that have been offering their devotion and their commitment, which is a reflection of their heart, to the gods of the nations. We, we've been singing praises to Yahweh sometimes, but we've been singing praises to the gods of the nations as well. I am a man of unclean lips, for I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Friends, when, when we come to see God for who he really is, his holiness, holy, 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 you're glorious. We recognize our sin. We recognize our brokenness. We recognize this God is too good, and I know that I am not anything like him in his goodness and holiness. And we say, woe is me. That's the reaction of Isaiah to God's majesty, glory, and perfection. And I think it should be our reaction, too, is to bow and confess our worthiness. It's hard, friends, but it's right. It's right. It's the first step to living scent is to say, I know I'm not worthy. I know that I don't deserve anything, but I look to you, holy God, and I realize I'm unworthy. I've seen the Lord of hosts. Sometimes, you know, I come into church and I feel like, all right, here's another Sunday. Clap the hands sing the songs, but my heart really isn't moved. Friends, sometimes we get so distracted with the idols of our land today. The idols of materialism, the idols of of self, the idols of, of power and authority and money and possessions and gotta have it my way type of attitudes that when we come in here, we don't see the Lord of hosts. There's this veil of smoke, but oh, that the Lord would open our eyes they would open our eyes when we come into places like this today. That even though our hearts may be dragging in, that I pray, and I hope you pray too, Lord, open my eyes today. I want to see your glory. Can we do that? How do we see God's glory today? Well, in John 1.14, it says this, The Word, who is Jesus, the Son of God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his, guess what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, if you want to see the glory of God, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, and you see his glory. I love what Thomas confessed after Jesus rose from the dead. He got on his knees and said, My Lord and my God. Uh, we see this all throughout the, the Gospels. The, we think about the Samaritan woman by the well. She encounters Jesus, and she's blown away, and she can't wait to be, guess what, sent back to her town to say, I've seen the glory of God in a man who is standing here with me. Uh, think about this. Think about the demoniac who was healed in Galilee, a person that no one could restrain, a person that no one could heal. Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, be set free. You're healed. I'm here. The king of glory is healed. And he's, he's healed of this these demons and guess what he wants to do i gotta go i gotta be sent i gotta be sent i gotta go because i've seen something and someone glorious uh, we know zacchaeus who went up into that sycamore tree because he was a short man wanted to see jesus jesus calls him out and says zacchaeus come down here i'm going to your house today and they have a meal together and Zacchaeus says, I can't wait to be sent out and right all the wrongs that I've committed to my neighbors. I want to go and be sent out because I've encountered the glory of God in Jesus. Friends, that's true for us today. We can encounter God's glory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Those who are sent have come to see there's no one and nothing like Jesus. I hope your heart 
is seeing the glory of Jesus today. I'll confess there are days I come in here and I feel my heart is dull. It's tired. Maybe distracted. But oh, we could live sent if we come with the prayer of faith and the eyes of faith saying, show us your glory. Show us your glory. Second thing, God brings us into an encounter with his mercy. Remember, Isaiah said, woe is me for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. He didn't know what he's going to do. He said, I was going to die. I'm going to be destroyed here. And what happens? Verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 6 says, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, normally fire is a symbol for judgment and a symbol for wrath and destruction. Fire consumes, but here we see that the fire purifies. Why? Because this fire had come from the altar. The altar in the Old Testament tabernacle, tent, and temple, it was the place where a sacrifice would be burned to atone for someone's sin. And what's happening here is, is there's this coal from the altar signifying that a sacrifice had been made to purify Isaiah. His guilt was removed in the moment that that coal touched his lips and the penalty for his sin had been satisfied and his defilement had been cleansed. Friends, this is a picture of the gospel of Jesus. We see, I just read it this week in the book of Hebrews, Jesus has come not to a tabernacle that can be made with hands or a temple made with hands here on this earth. He's gone straight into heaven, the true tabernacle, the true temple, and he came as our perfect priest with his very own blood shed for our sins. When you look to him, when you believe upon him, when you trust in him and you give him your life, guess what? That coal of the sacrifice of Jesus comes to our lips and it cleanses us from all our guilt and from all our sin. Praise be to God for the good news of Jesus. Amen? What a God. I was saved when my mom read to me Pilgrim's Progress as a little kid. One of the greatest pieces of literature in all the world by John Bunyan. There's a story of this man named Christian, and he's called out to go pursue this celestial city. And this evangelist comes along, Mr. Evangelist comes along and tells him good news about this celestial city. But, John, but, but Christian, as he leaves his, his city of destruction on the road to the celestial city, he's leaving with this heavy, heavy, heavy burden. And he can't go far and he can't go fast because of this heavy burden. But one day Christian comes to this hill and he sees a cross. He sees the cross and he, he comes and, and though Christian's weighed down with a heavy burden, he sees it and he journeys to the cross and he bows his knee and the burden is miraculously released from his shoulders. He's ready to take the journey. He's ready to go. He's ready to be sent. Friends, if we're going to go be sent, we got to keep looking to the cross. It says, he removes all my guilt. He removes all my shame. He removes all my fear. He gives me hope. There was one day that I lived when I had a heavy burden, but today I've seen the Lord of glory and he has touched my lips with the hot coal and he's purified me forever and ever. Some of you may have come in here today like Christian with a heavy burden. Oh, friends, come look to the cross. Look to that altar. Look to that place where God has made his perfect sacrifice for our sins and let your burden go. 
Let your burden, some of you have been carrying burdens for years. You can't live sent. You can't live sent. You've got burdens of a past. You've got burdens of a history. You've got burdens of hurt and pain and hurt feelings and all kinds of things that burden us down and keep us from living sent. But the good news of the gospel that like Isaiah, we could have the burden lifted and the guilt removed and the defilement cleansed. You could come like Christian and have your burden roll away. I love the hymn. I think we kind of sang it at, at Easter, right? Hang, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory to find. I have assurance. I'm an heir of salvation. I'm the purchase of God, born of his spirit and washed in his blood. And then the chorus goes, this is my story. This is my song. It's almost as if the chorus is saying, I'm going to live sent and I'm telling people about the story that Jesus has made me whole. Jesus has cleansed me. Oh my, this, this, this passage is amazing, right? God brings us in to send us out. God brings us in to behold his glory. God brings us in to encounter his mercy. And thirdly, God brings us in to send us with his message. Verse eight again, Isaiah, after all of this, after his woe is me, after hearing holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, after having his lips cleansed, he says, here I am. The Lord knows, Isaiah, you're ready now. He says, I got a mission. I got to send in someone. Whom shall I send? And it's almost as everybody's looking around and Isaiah's like, me, here I am. Send me. The God who, who had, had him shut out, uh, shut out because of his sin has brought him home. But he finds that being joined to God means joining a missionary society. He's been caught in in order to be sent out. He sees it. He says, no, no, I, I don't know if I could have gone before this encounter, but now I've seen something more miraculous and beautiful and majestic and glorious than I've ever seen, and I've had my sin atoned for. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be sent because this encounter that I've had with my God. You think about my kids. I, I used to go out and I'd run errands and I'd think, hey, maybe I want to take one of the kids when they were little. Yeah, I, hey, I, you want to come with me? Come on, let's go. Eh, I don't know, Dad. I'd rather play video games or whatever, go out and play basketball or whatever. And I learned, I learned that I can entice them. I can send you out with me. Why? Because there's a treasure in there. Maybe we'll go get some boba tea. They love boba tea, right? Maybe we could go uh, get Chick-fil-A for lunch. And all of a sudden, ooh, Dad, send me. I want to go. I want to go. And then I was like, I can only take one. And now they're battling with me about who gets to go. Uh, you see, when, when we see that being sent is a treasure and not a chore. When we can see that this God is sending us out because he is glorious and he's wonderful and he's cleansed us of our sin, we can see this is no treasure being sent. I mean, excuse me, this is no chore being sent. This is a treasure. This is a treasure to be sent out like Isaiah to say, I've encountered something unlike anything this world has to offer and I can't wait to tell people about this good news. Think about what, the apostles say in Acts 4.20, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. You can't hold us back. Romans 1.14-15, Paul says, I'm under obligation. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel. I can't, look, you, I'm enslaved to this gospel. I gotta go tell people, this is too good. You can't keep me from it. And I love what Paul writes in Titus 2.11-14, the reason Jesus was was sent. The grace of God has appeared. Titus 2.11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to, be, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That glory that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6, it's coming to the earth, friends. It is coming to the earth someday. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous, zealous for good works. I hope, friends, you've encountered this salvation and with raised hand you say, here I am, Lord. Send me. If your heart is dull today, I just want to invite you in prayer, in confession, in repentance. Lord, what's keeping me from being sent? I feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back at down. Would you open my eyes that I'd see your glory once again in the face of Jesus through the gospel? Open my eyes. Take this burden from me. I don't, want to be, I don't want to live sent today. Teach me. Show me. I want to live sent. Teach me. Change my heart. This is our big idea today. God brings us in to send us out. Now, the arc of the biblical story is that God created humanity. They fell in sin and rebellion to his good commands. And he, our God, our God, our creator, he's been on a mission of gracious pursuit to redeem and restore humanity into a right relationship with him and with one another. Jesus' sentness reflects this gracious pursuit. Jesus' commission to his apostles, who are his messengers, it reflects the gracious pursuit of God for you and for me. As people have believed upon the gospel, the apostles, they form churches like ours, like Fairfax Bible Church. What are they? They're communities of people rescued by the grace of Jesus and called to be outposts for the mission in their cities and in their communities. Amen? The Father sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus sent the Spirit to the apostles, whom he also sent to live on mission as his witnesses. Then the apostles were sent to people like you and me who believe in Jesus through the gospel and in turn are sent to perpetuate this mission of bearing witness to the exclusive power and glory and goodness and holiness of Jesus to the world in which we live. This is why Jesus was sent. It's why the apostles were sent. And it's why believers like you and me are also sent. I want to ask you today, individually, are you living sent? Are you living sent? Think, of, think about us as a, as a church. Are we, Fairfax Bible Church, living sent? Not, not just Sunday, Monday through Saturday, 365 days a year. It's costly. It's hard. But oh, for, for you, if you've seen the glory of God in Jesus, if, you, if you've had that burden roll away, I hope that you'll join us in raising your hand and saying, here I am, Lord. Send me. I believe that Fairfax Bible Church has been living sent, friends. Uh, you've been living sent in this community here in Fairfax City, Fairfax County, and beyond through your witness to the gospel, through your generosity to the broken and the hurting in our community, and through your commitment to living with one another in loving community. Praise God you've been living sent. Praise God that next week we're going to celebrate 10 years of living sent, right? Amen. 
Praise God. He's sustained us through a pandemic. He's sustained us through transitions. Why? Because I believe God's looking down and seeing a group of people that want to live sent. But the work isn't done. The work isn't done. Uh, Let me just share a few things, uh, a few stats with you. From April 2010 to April 2020, the population of Fairfax County grew by over 68,000 people. Uh, which is more than 6% of an increase, which is about average. But, but when you think about it, that's like a, another small city just planted right here in our county, a, a whole city of people that need to be reached every 10 years. Arlington County rose by 15%. Alexandria rose by 14%. Prince William County by 20%. All our neighbors, Loudoun County by 35%. Our region is growing and becoming global and diverse with each passing day. The work is growing in Northern Virginia. God is blessing us by bringing the nations right to our doorsteps. Amen? What a blessing, but also what a responsibility. Additionally, I did some other research. According to the joshuaproject.net, out of the 7.91 billion people on the planet, 3.34 billion, 42% are still completely unreached, meaning that there are very few, if any, Christians living among these people, and they have little to no, uh, little to almost no Christian history in their region, 42%. If you go the next level up, the people that are slightly reached and maybe a little bit more reached, we're talking more than half the globe that doesn't have a real gospel witness in the world for them today. Over 59% of the world's population either has not been reached or is in need of revival and renewal through the gospel. The global church has had a great impact on our world, but the work isn't done. The work isn't done here in Northern Virginia. The work isn't done throughout this world. We've been called to live sent right where God has planted us. And we're called to live sent in unity and cooperation with churches and ministry throughout the world, right? Uh, The the people who who feel called to live sent for the sake of the gospel and of the glory of Jesus. I love when we have our our God at work videos that that are showing some of these uh, missionaries, these uh, global uh, partners that we have, missionaries throughout the world that are partnering with us to live sent. The Father sent his son Jesus. Jesus sent his messengers. The apostles, the apostles sent more messengers, missionaries. They established churches to live, local, uh, live sent locally and globally. What about Fairfax Bible Church? What about us? Will we be a part of the story? Will we be a part of this story? Friends, there's churches closing up all over the place, and there's all kinds of reasons why they close. One of the reasons why they close is because after decades one, two, three, four, they lose the, the passion to live sent. And God just closes their doors and pours those resources into another church. Just because we've been around 10 years doesn't mean that we're strong. It means that we have a great responsibility and privilege to live sent. The work isn't done. Will we continue to be a part of the story? Well, in closing, I just want to share with you something that we're going to start talking about in the weeks to come and in the, the, the season to come. And we wanted to introduce this to you this morning. Uh, it's just an introduction. I'm sure you'll have lots of questions. We'll have lots of questions as well. But we're going to work together. This is our living sent vision for 2022 and 2023. This is our goal. And the elders, we prayed about this, and we believe this is where God is leading us to live sent. We will seek to inspire, equip, and launch every follower of Jesus Christ at Fairfax Bible Church to clearly and courageously communicate and demonstrate the gospel 
with the people they connect with in their everyday lives. That's what we want to do. Now, that's, that's, that's a little bit vague, but also we wanted to make it just specific enough so that we said every single one of us is called to live sent. If you call Fairfax Bible Church your home, we want to partner with you to teach you, equip you, help you, and you could do the same for us so that we could live sent together right here in Northern Virginia. Not just speaking good news, but demonstrating it through our good works. Not only that, our second part of our vision is that we will take new tangible steps to generously and sacrificially support those who are living sent locally, regionally, and globally. This is where we're going for a, a, as a church for the coming season. What does that look like? Real briefly, and you're going to hear more about it soon, we want to soak in the gospel. Like Isaiah, we just want to say, are we continually looking to the glory of God in the face of Jesus, the one who can cleanse us from our sins? Can we speak gospel? Can, can we speak it in the everyday stuff of life? As one of our favorite pastors, Jeff Vanderstelt in Seattle, uh, Washington, he talks about that. Living out and speaking the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. Do you find it hard to speak the gospel in the everyday stuff of life? I do. And I want to learn. And we can learn together how to soak in the gospel so that it becomes second nature to us to speak it. Next, uh, next year, early in the year, we're going to take a season in, in the wintertime to pray together. We're going to take 30 days. We're going to pray for at least one person in our lives who needs to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. I got to experience this, uh, uh, this kind of a prayer campaign back in California, and it transformed my heart, and it transformed my life. We want to pray, Lord, who are the people that I live next to, that I work with, that my kids go to school with? Who is it that you want me to reach with the good news of Jesus? To whom are you sending me? Lord, I'm going to pray for opportunities. And then we're going to see the third phase as we get into the spring. We're going to continue to grow in our gospel fluency. We're going to continue to grow in our passion for the lost through prayer. But we're excited that we're going to introduce some new tools, some new resources to help us learn to be faithful, to learn to be effective at communicating the gospel in all the kinds of conversations that we have in our everyday lives. Because God is sending each and every single one of us, just like he sent Isaiah, just like he sent the apostles, just like God sent Jesus who is sending us to live on mission. We don't know how far God is going to stretch us yet, friends. I don't know. And frankly, I get a little bit anxious and I get a little bit afraid when I think about it. What is that going to cost me? However, our elders who love you more than words could ever express are confident that we've been called to participate in the story of God's gracious pursuit of sinners like you and me by living sent to the world in which we live, but we can't do it on our own. This isn't Pastor Matthew's mission. This isn't Matt Rumbaugh's or Dave Kelly's or Will Johnson's or Pastor Hang Tu's mission. No, 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 we're in this together. We're a member of a local community of people rescued by the grace of God and Jesus Christ called to live sent in Fairfax and beyond. So I wanna invite you, will you join us? Will you join us? Will you, Fairfax Bible Church, brothers and sisters, family, Will you join us in living sent? What does this mean for Monday? Real simply, be praying. Be in prayer. In the coming days and weeks, I'm not asking you to take any steps today. I'm just asking you to say, Lord, am I like Isaiah? Am I ready to be sent? Examine your heart and ask yourself, are you ready to answer the call? When God asks, whom shall I send here at Fairfax Bible Church? Are you ready to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Uh, if you're in God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, then like Isaiah, you've been brought in. You've been brought in. Why? To be sent out. 
You may be just like him. I, I feel like Isaiah. I feel like, woe is me. Who am I to be sent, right? I don't know what this is going to look like. That's okay. It's okay. I'm still searching for all those answers myself too. Uh, God's not expecting you to answer all the how-to. He just wants to know, will you? You don't have to know all the how-to. He just wants to know, will you? Will you join the story with us at Fairfax Bible Church to live sent? I'm scared and I'm so excited. I hope you feel a little bit of that too. Let's take some time in our prayer closets this week just to say, Lord, this is a huge challenge. Am I ready to live sent? Let me be like Isaiah, ready to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. And I want to ask you today, you, you may have been hearing about all this and be thinking to yourself, what in the world are they talking about? Who would want to give up their lives for something like this? Uh, you may have never had an encounter with the goodness of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And I, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. We're going to, we're going to pray and close. And, and if you want to come and say, I, I want to know this, this Jesus. I, I want to have my burden of sin rolled away. We want to talk with you. We want to help you receive Jesus today. But let's close in prayer. Our Father, we're here today because you've brought us in. You have brought us in to behold your glory. You've brought us in to, to roll away the burden of sin from our backs. You've, you've brought us in to carry us and to save us and to purify us and to forgive us. You've allowed us to see, we've sung about it this morning, this hymn of heaven, the glory of God that we're all going to get to behold just like Isaiah. But you didn't bring us in just to give us full joy. You gave us, brought us in to send us out. And we want to live sent. And I thank you for my church family here today. They may feel equal parts excited and terrified. Maybe they don't care at all. But Lord, I pray every single person in this room would realize that you're inviting us in so that you could send us out to live on mission. Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Do a work in our hearts. Soften our hearts. Give us a glimpse of your glory. Help us that our, our burdens would be rolled away so that we could live freely and live sent before you. And Father, for the one or many who may be here today that have never experienced the glory of God, they've never had their sins cleansed and washed away and rolled away by the blood of Jesus, would you do a work in their hearts? that they may see him and receive him as Lord and Savior. Thank you so much for bringing us in. We go today because we want to be sent out. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. <laughs>